All right, so we're working through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're, we're, we're on the last three chapters. We finished chapter 13 last week, and we are beginning chapter 14, and we are in some really um, heavy-duty stuff here. But it's really good stuff. And so um, I want to... We're not going to rush. Uh, we're not going to belabor it. But I think it's real important as we go through the Scripture that we, we try to go through it in, in a manner that uh, is going to inform us um, in the right way. And so I, I, I thought of this. It's kind of like, um, like a car. If, you, um, if you're working through, as you work through this, um, this chapter, really this whole book, but as we work through this, it's kind of like uh, learning about an automobile or teaching you about an automobile. And so there's a way to teach you about an automobile if you're learning how to drive. And there's a way to teach you about an automobile if you're learning to be a mechanic. You understand what I'm saying? And so we're, we're learning how to drive, okay? But that doesn't mean that we're going to just pass over a bunch of things. What that means is we're going to do the most thorough job that we can to teach you um, how to operate properly, how to operate safely, and how to operate according to the standard and the bounds that God has set for us in His Word. Amen? All right. So let me, let me begin uh, with a quote from John Piper. And I posted this uh, on the, the Christ Fellowship website this week in preparation of this message today. Christianity is not merely an array of glorious ideas. It's not merely the performance of rituals and sacraments. It is the life-changing experience of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe. So when we talk about these things, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, when we talk about the Scripture, when we talk about salvation, we have to talk, it, talk about it within the context of a changed life. Because if all we have are just these wonderful ideas, these theological concepts, these doctrines that we have up here, but it never makes its way to our heart and it never translates into a changed mind, we really don't have anything. We just have dead religion. And what Christ has given us is not meant to be dead. He's not dead. He is alive. What he gives to us through salvation is not dead. It is alive. Amen? So, spiritual gifts is what we are talking about. We began this discussion of spiritual gifts in chapter 12. And we're continuing. So this conversation, this portion of the letter that Paul began to address in chapter 12, he continues to address the same issues on into what we call chapter 14. This issue of spiritual gifts. And so there's a question that's raging, has been, and, and it seems like even more today. And I don't think it's a bad question. I think it's actually a good question for us to consider, and the question is this, have, have spiritual gifts ceased or do they continue today? And so I'm going to give you two terms that may sound like kind of up there, but they're, they're really simple terms. It's the term uh, cessationist and can, continue, continuationist. So you have cessationist and you have continuationist. Cessationists believe that spiritual gifts have ceased. They don't operate in the church any longer today. Or at the very least, some of them, if not most of them or all of them, have ceased. And they don't operate in the church today. Now, a cessationist, and I know some cessationists, uh, they don't, it's not that they don't believe God does miraculous things. They actually do believe God does miraculous things still today. They just don't believe that God does miraculous things through the operation of spiritual gifts. And so, for instance, when it comes to, because we're going to talk about prophecy, 
for instance, in the beginning of chapter 14. Here's a quote from a person who considers himself a cessationist. This is a, a pastor named Thomas Schreiner. What some people today call prophecies are actually impressions from God. He can use impressions to guide and lead us, but they aren't infallible and must always be tested by Scripture. I, I could agree with that. I, I agree with that. We should also consult with wise counselors before acting on such impressions. I love my charismatic brothers and sisters, but what they call prophecy today isn't actually the biblical gift of prophecy. God-given impressions aren't the same thing as prophecies, end quote. I don't necessarily disagree with what that gentleman is saying there. So we could kind of sum it up like this. A cessationist may believe that God gives impressions today, or God heals today, or God does miracles today, but God-given impressions or those miracles or those healings are not the same thing as the gift of prophecy or the gift of healings or the gift of miracles. Continuationists are people who believe that the New Testament gifts of the Spirit have not ceased and still operate in the body of Christ today. Responsible, I want to stress that, responsible continuationists will adhere to the Scripture concerning the operation and the governing of spiritual gifts. Now, all believers, here's, here's what I think, here's what I believe, all believers should know that there are no longer Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles who are continuing to prophesy and write the canon of Scripture. Can we agree that this Bible is a closed book? Closed in the sense that an angel is not going to appear to you or to me or to anyone today and say, thus saith the Lord, write this. It carries the same weight as Scripture. There are some people who believe that. Um, Mormons, very good, very moral, very upstanding people, but they believe that God has continued his revelation and there is a book equal in weight to the Bible. It's called the Book of Mormon. We can't believe that and be Orthodox Christians. There are a lot of people who, in the charismatic Pentecostal movement, and I say that because I consider myself charismatic, okay? I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I'm a continuationist, you might say. But I believe that this book is closed. That if God gives me an impression if we can use that term, or prompts me, or even if I use the term revelation, that impression, that prompting, that revelation does not in any way, shape, or form carry the weight of Scripture. In fact, any impression prompting a revelation I get or you get has to, must, line up with this book right here. It should be tested by this book. It must adhere to this book. And the operation of spiritual gifts within the church must be done within the bounds set by the Scripture. So we don't believe there's Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles continuing to write Scripture today. The Bible's closed. And all forms of revelation today must adhere to and be judged against the Bible. Amen? So I believe that Spiritual gifts, and we're going to get into the text of the Scripture here very shortly. I just want to kind of lay out these, because I, I don't know where everybody is. You might, be a, you might believe spiritual gifts have ceased. Maybe you grew up in a church that taught that, and that's what you believe. But I, I, I think it's rare, and I do, I do have some pastor friends who are very staunch cessationists, but even those very staunch cessationist pastors would say, well, we believe God does miracles today. I've been in, 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 in Bible studies with cessationist pastors, and we've actually prayed for healing. So there's much, much more that we can agree on than we have to divide over. So I believe spiritual gifts are in operation today as he wills. This is what the Scripture teaches us. But I also believe that there have been much, there's been much irresponsible teaching and interpretation of the Scripture when it comes to spiritual gifts as well as other things. And so at the very least, I think we could all agree that God is a God of 
the miraculous. Can I get an amen there? God is a God of the miraculous. He still moves and works in miraculous ways by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we should look to Him and trust Him to do and to perform the miraculous in our lives. And I want you to understand the greatest miracle you will ever experience is not your healing, it is your salvation. Because your salvation is your healing in total. It's your spiritual healing, the most important healing you'll ever experience. It's your physical healing, your emotional healing. I firmly believe that is true, that salvation touches all parts of us, the the spiritual, the emotional, and the physical. And, And I believe this is why there is no sickness in heaven. There is not going to be sadness and sorrow in any form of the curse when we see him face to face, when we live in that time when the consummation of all things have taken place. And that is true because of what Christ has done already. So how do we, how do we balance that in the world that we live in? Because we live in a fallen world. We've got Cindy who has cancer. Now, listen, I, I was not raised in church. But when I came to be saved, I was raised in the charismatic Pentecostal tradition. And I will tell you that even for me just to stand here and say, Cindy has cancer, there are people who would say, don't say that. And I would say, you know what? God knows she has cancer. We shouldn't be afraid of the truth. That that is the fact. But we shouldn't also say the fact that Cindy has cancer means that's, that's it. Because there is something that stands above that fact, and his name is God. And so the fact may be, you have, you fill in the blank. But the truth is, God stands above that. And we don't put our trust in the facts. We put our trust in the God who stands above the facts. We don't live in denial and pretend like that we can confess something into existence. That's that's not called Christianity. That's called witchcraft. Okay? Let's live in the real world. Let's stand on the promises of God. Let's profess, proclaim His promise. Stand on His word. Trust the God who stands above everything. And at the end of the day, as we stand in faith, trusting him, let's trust ultimately what he does. Whether he heals me right now in this body or whether he heals me when I leave this body. Because one way or the other, do you, can we all, we're going to get into this in 1 Corinthians 15. Our bodies, our bodies will be healed one day. Not only are they going to be healed, they're going to be changed, the Bible says. And we're going to put on a glorious body. That, that's not a hope so, maybe so. That is a done deal. That's the promise of God. It's going to be so good when we get to these, these verses and these chapters and we begin to see the promise of God, the hope that we have in Jesus. Amen? So God does the miraculous. And the greatest miracle is our new birth in Christ. Now, let me give you another quote as we begin to go in depth into the Scripture. This is a a pastor named Adrian Warnock. He's a Reformed charismatic pastor, kind of an oxymoron almost sounds like, doesn't it? Kind of sums up the way I believe as a pastor and the way I believe as a follower of God. Quote, it is really possible to pursue a solid biblical knowledge and sound doctrine while experiencing the presence and the power of God in a real way today. The Word and the Spirit are not in conflict, but rather work together to cause us to know God. The Word and the Spirit are not in conflict. I've been in environments where it almost seems like the Word and the Spirit are in conflict. That if we try too hard to understand the Bible, or we get too much into the doctrines of the Bible, that's not good. You know, God doesn't want us to be intellectual. He just really wants us to be stupid and trust Him. No. God gave you an intellect for a reason. God gave you a brain for a reason. He gave you the capacity to learn 
to process information, we just need to understand how that needs to be done in a spiritual context. The natural man, remember 1 Corinthians, I think chapter 2, verse 14, the natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. So what has to be processed, spiritual things have to be processed through our spirit first before they can be understood here. If I'm trying to grasp things here first and never get them here in my spirit, that's not going to work. That's why we have atheists who study the Bible to prove the Bible's not true. Because it's all about just intellectual knowledge. So as believers, God doesn't want us to throw out our intellect. Please don't do that. Use it to the glory of God. But understand that God cannot just be grasped and understood intellectually. God must be grasped and understood spiritually, for he is spiritual. And you are spiritual if you are in Christ. This book is not just good literature. It's spiritual. It's living. It communicates to us. It reveals to us the living word of God, Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to probably go through about, uh, I think about maybe 13 verses here today. Maybe a little more than that. Not much more than that. Let me read to you. Let's read from verse 1 down to verse 9 right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Now, I want to read the last verse of chapter 13 because this understand, it helps us understand the context. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now remember, in the very beginning of verse 13, chapter 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and eight, uh, actually at the end of thir- 12, excuse me, 1231, earnestly desire the best gifts, but I show you a more excellent way. That excellent way is love. He talks all about love. What is love as a person? The person of love, we talked about him last week. Now chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more than that, even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophecy, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise, you also, you utter by the tongue words easy to understand. I'm sorry, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will, you be, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. I'm going to continue. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, it shall be, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel." Let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So let's go back up to the first verse of this chapter. Now remember, we're learning to drive, okay? I'm not going to try to teach you how to be mechanics, but it's very important that you learn how to drive well, okay? Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So we are commanded to pursue Love. Don't forget the context in which Paul makes the statement. 
There's an issue with spiritual gifts. There's fussing, fighting, division, pride, arrogance, competition with the use of spiritual gifts. Paul brings correction. He says gifts are not the mark of whether your spiritual fruit is. Love is the main thing. Without love, we don't have anything. Now he says, not forget about gifts, don't worry about gifts. He says, no, let's learn the right way to understand gifts and why gifts are given to the body of Christ. So he says, we are commanded to pursue love. He commands us, pursue love. To pursue is an action taken outwardly. It's it's an action word, okay? So to pursue love is to, this word pursue means to press toward. So to pursue love is to press toward love with our actions as well as a heart attitude, right? I, I don't need to be doing things out here if it's not within my heart. If you're just coming to church because you think somehow it's going to get you to heaven, but it's not really within your heart to do it, mm, there's a problem. We should come to church. We should love one another, but we should do it not because we're trying to manipulate God. We should do it because there is something in our heart that causes us. I love my wife because there's something within me that causes me to love her. I love Jesus because there's something within me that causes me to love him. What is it? It's his love. We love him because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. So God put his love in my heart, now I'm able to love him. If I'm just trying to do it out of my own strength, out of the will of my flesh, that's not really love. So we're commanded to pursue love. It's an action we take. We press toward love, but it's got to originate from within our hearts. So love is to be outwardly pursued from an inward desire of the heart. So we're commanded pursue love, but what about spiritual gifts? Pursue love, but desire spiritual gifts. So remember, pursuit is an action taken outwardly. Desire is an affection. Listen, desire is an affection fostered inwardly desire spiritual gifts the bible doesn't say pursue spiritual gifts it says desire them so this speaks of an affection in my heart an inward affection for something what's this word affection mean it means to have a a warmth toward a desire so we should desire spiritual gifts but we should not pursue them We pursue love, and we desire spiritual gifts. So we're to have an affection to receive his gifts as he distributes them. How how do we receive them? As he wills. He distributes as he wills, not as we pursue, as he wills. We need to be open to receive what he gives to us. So gifts are not, our gifts are to be inwardly desired, but not outwardly pursued. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. I want you to note that. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification. That word edification means building up. So when it says to edify the church, it means to build up the church. He who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Verse 3. He who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. Verse 4. But he who prophesies builds up the church. So tongues, we speak, we don't understand. We're speaking to God. Prophecy, we're speaking edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Tongues builds up a person. Prophecy builds up the church. He who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. So let's pause for just a minute and let's talk about these two terms. Tongues and prophecy. Speaking in tongues is speech directed from men to God. 
In Acts chapter 2, when they came out of the upper room, if you read very closely what it says, they were declaring the wonderful works of God. They weren't predicting people's future. They were declaring from the mouth of men the wonderful works of God. They were declaring to God His works. They were glorifying God. So it's speech directed from men to God. It's a prayer or praise. It's prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker. You see this in verse 2, verse 9, verse 13, verse 14 of this chapter. It's prayer or praise directed to God, and it comes from the spirit of the person speaking, not ecstatically. That means God doesn't take control of your faculties and you, you lose control. God doesn't do that to people. It's not ecstatically, it is with self-control. It's effective because the scripture tells us it is, not because we comprehend it with our mind. That's what verse 14 says. The word tongues simply means languages. And we could say, and, and we see this in the book of Acts, that these Galileans who did not speak all these various languages were declaring the wonderful works of God in languages they did not understand or in a language they didn't understand. So remember, either one or two things were happening. Either they were speaking all those different languages or they were speaking an unknown language to everyone and those people were hearing in their own language. Either way, it was a miracle, okay? The point is, here's, here's what I want you to understand about driving the car. Tongues is about men communicating to God. Tongues, it's not about building up the church. If we all get in here, let's just, let's just use, um, uh, I, I love all things Irish, so let's just use Gaelic as an example, okay? I don't think anyone speaks Gaelic here. Anyone? Does anyone speak Gaelic? Okay. Let's just pretend I could speak Gaelic fluently, and I just get up and start preaching to you in Gaelic. I would be declaring truths from the Scripture, but the problem is none of you would understand me because none of you speak Gaelic. So I might be, being, uh, I might be having a great time, but you all are going to be lost because you have no clue what I'm saying. That could be an example of tongues. It would be a bad example of how to operate or use that gift in a church setting. Because the point of us coming together is to be edified. And if we all get up here and we all start speaking in tongues, and no one can understand everything, even if you are yourself personally being edified, you're not doing anything for anyone else. And the point of us coming together is not just so that you can be personally edified. The point of us coming together is so that we can all be built up together. If we're all built up together, then we're all going to be personally edified too, right? But if I come here just to be personally edified, then I can exclude all of you, and me and God can have a great time. But God's not called us to have our own thing going with Him. He's called us to be a part of the body. And so I cannot come here properly if I do not come considering each one of you, considering one another. You cannot come here properly if you do not come here considering one another. Amen? Prophecy, prophecy is a message. And we're going to get more into tongues later on as we finish, go through this chapter. But right now, let's just leave it right there. Speech directed from men to God. It only edifies personally, not corporately. Prophecy, on the other hand, is a message directed from God to men. Tongues from men to God, prophecy from God to men. In a person's own words, it's telling in one's own human words something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. It can be a prompting or a revelation by God. For instance, well, I'll give you that a little bit later. It may have the speaker's own understanding or interpretation in it, and it needs evaluation and testing. 
Yet it has a valuable function in the church to bring edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Prophecy does not carry the weight of Scripture and must always be judged and governed by the Scripture. Why? Because we don't believe Scripture is still being written today. You might think God gave you a great revelation, and maybe He did, but it does not carry the weight of Scripture. And if that revelation no matter how much you believe it's from God, if it in any way, shape, or form violates the Scripture, I got news for you. As much as you want to believe it is from God, it's not from God because God will never give us anything personally that violates His Word, okay? So this is how we always test things. And this is why I say it's very important for you to read your Bibles, not in a legalistic way, But this Bible is given to you, the Scripture is given to you so that you can know God. So that you can know His voice. So if you get a revelation, have an impression or a prompting, or somebody else comes to you and says, I've got this prompting, this impression about you, here's what it is. If you know God's Word and it absolutely, I mean, you can can go to chapter and verse, it violates His Word, you don't have to wonder, I wonder if God's trying to tell me something. No. No, maybe the devil is, but God's not. Are we fallible? Yes, we are. We can believe things and have the best intentions, but that does not mean that it is necessarily lining up with the truth. So this is the final court of appeal right here, the Scripture. This is the Supreme Court. It ultimately goes here, and this makes the final judgment, right? Amen? Okay. So, it can be a prompting, a revelation of God, but it's got to line up with the Scripture. It has a function within the body, but it doesn't carry the weight of Scripture. It's always judged by the Scripture. So, prophecy is spoken of here. What I believe when Paul talks about the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, What he's talking about here in chapter 14, prophecy is spoken of here must be understood in the correct context. This is not the same kind of prophecy uttered by Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles. Okay, He who prophesies, the Bible says, is greater than he who speaks in a tongue unless he interprets. Why? Because prophecy builds up the church, whereas tongues build up the individual. Paul says, when you guys come together, let your purpose be to build up the church, not to just build up yourself individually. If one interprets, then the church is built up. Why? Because everybody can understand. So again, if I'm preaching to you in Gaelic, and I don't know English, what do I need? When I go to Mexico, and I preach to the people of Mexico, Guess what I always have to have? An interpreter. Because I don't speak Spanish, I'm so sad to say. At least nothing that they would want to (laughs) hear. So I have to have an interpreter. Otherwise, the body's not built up. So spiritual gifts, listen, spiritual gifts are to be used in the church to build up the church, not the individual. Amen? Amen? Verse 6, now let's read. Uh, Verse 6, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? So spiritual gifts are to operate in the church only if they edify or build up the body. Now, in verse 6 here, Paul is contrasting four things, revelation, prophesying, teaching, I'm sorry, revelation, knowledge, prophesying, and teaching. Actually, there's two concepts here. He's using, he's really contrasting these four things, but we can divide them into two categories. So we put revelation and knowledge together because he's contrasting revelation and knowledge, and we put prophecy and teaching together because he's contrasting prophecy and teaching. So how do revelation and knowledge contrast and how do prophecy and teaching contrast? So Paul is teaching us something here about the operation of spiritual gifts. 
So what is revelation? Well, we could just say this. Revelation is God spontaneously giving knowledge that, that you did not have that is needed to edify the church. So do you believe that right now God could give me knowledge of something I don't have? Uh, and, and, and I never say, thus saith the Lord. I, I, don't, I, I know people that do that, but I personally don't think you should do that. Because unless I'm quoting the Scripture, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say for certain, thus saith the Lord, right? But now I might come to you and say, hey, I, I just have this, I have this feeling or this impression or I've got this burden on my heart and, and take this for what it's worth. But here's what I feel like I'm supposed to say to you. I think that's legitimate. Then you take that and that's either going to confirm something. It might inform you. If it, if it informs you of something you didn't know before, you, what should you do with that? You should take that to the scripture. You should... See what God does with it. See, test it to see whether it's of God or not. So a revelation, it's God spontaneously giving me knowledge I did not have that is needed to edify the church. It's, this is not mystical. This is intensely practical. This isn't me getting up here and saying, now brother, brother Andy, your social security number is blah, 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 blah. No. Listen, that's not prophecy. That's witchcraft. <laughs> Might not even be witchcraft. There are good illusionists who can do things like that, who has nothing to do with spiritual things. That's not the point of prophecy. This isn't about showboating. This is about trying to prove how much I know. This is about building up the body of Christ. When we see things like that taking place, you should really have red flags going up. Because the point of prophesying, the Bible teaches us, is to build up the body. So revelation is God spontaneously giving me knowledge I didn't have. What's knowledge? Knowledge is what I have already come to know by various means shared for the edification of the church, of the body. So I'm coming here today and I have knowledge of some things because I've read the scripture, studied the scripture. So I have knowledge of some things and I can impart that knowledge to you and I should do that. There's other things that I don't know that God could spontaneously give to me. But the point is, revelation or knowledge, it's for the edification of the church. So revelation is about the unknown. Knowledge is about the known. God uses both for the same reason to build up the church. So sometimes we operate in Revelation where God gives me knowledge of what was unknown to me. But most of the time, we're going to operate in knowledge. We read our Bibles. We study the Scripture. We know what the Word of God says. Not that we understand everything, but we know. And we, we operate in what we know for the edification of the body. So this is the contrast between Revelation and knowledge. Now, what about prophesying and teaching? So what's Paul's point? If I just come speaking in tongues, nobody's edified. I need to come with revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or teaching. Well, what's prophesying? It's communicating what God brings suddenly or spontaneously to mind for the purpose of edifying the church. So, for instance, I might just be preaching away here, right? And all of a sudden, I just feel impressed to say to any one of you, maybe I just say, you know what, I, I just, I feel like you need to go and, and read and meditate on 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, verses 3 through 5. I don't know why that just came to mind for you, but you, that, that could be a spontaneous thing God does. Not a mystical thing, not a weird thing, but, but just a spontaneous thing. I, and I might not do it from here. Maybe I would just, or maybe I'm preaching to all of you and I say, I, I, my message today was 1 Corinthians 14, but I feel a very strong burden that this is what God wants us to, to, to talk about. We're going to go to a different scripture today. But I prepared for 1 Corinthians 14. My teaching today is based in 1 Corinthians 14. It's what I have prepared for. It's what I have premeditatedly 
come here today to talk to you about. But in my effort to teach 1 Corinthians 14, could God spontaneously give me another scripture for the body here? Yes, he could. And when I spontaneously give that to you, I believe we can call that prophecy. It's a spontaneous or a sudden impression. Now what we, because where I grew up spiritually, this was always like, I mean, I literally have been in big auditoriums where people are actually, you know, saying, I I can remember this so vividly. The guy's standing on the stage and he says, a can of dull pineapple. I'm getting a can of dull pineapple. And then he gives a number in a street and, and some lady stands up and she starts screaming, that's my address, that's my address. And, okay. Now, I'm not saying God can't do something weird like that. But I'm saying when I read the scripture and we talk about these gifts, the point of this gift is not just, God knows every one of your addresses, okay? Whether I know it or not, it's really not important. God knows all the intimate details about your life. Whether I know it, it's really not important. What's important is when we come together as the body of Christ, that we share truth, that we share the scripture, and the sharing of that scripture and the sharing of that truth edifies, builds up all of us. And if God chooses to spontaneously give us an impression or something, hey, that's, that's great. But what I'm saying is I believe those things are more the exception than the rule. What we really need to be doing is not pursuing those things. Because the Bible says don't pursue those things. The Bible never commands pursue prophecy, pursue weird, miraculous manifestations. No, the Bible says pursue love. Desire spiritual gifts. In other words, be warm to them, be open that God could use you to do something. So in 1996, when I met Gatana Gatana, who was a total stranger to me, this little Ethiopian man in an auditorium of about 2,000 people, didn't know him from Adam. When God impressed upon me to pray for his feet, I had no idea why. I just, I mean, I resisted for so long, and it was so real to me that I, I finally, I couldn't resist any longer. And I just simply knelt down, and I grabbed his ankles. Didn't say anything to him. I just very gently did that. And, well, now, all of these years later, he's still a dear friend, a dear brother. God did a miracle that night, healed him from... uh, something that he'd been suffering with for 16 years. God did that. I didn't do that. I wasn't even looking to do that. I wasn't even asking God that I could be able to do that. That is the exception, church. I'm not saying God doesn't do those things. God heals. God does the miraculous. But what we are commanded to pursue and to focus on is how we Build one another up. Pursue love. Desire. Be open to God using you in miraculous ways. Be open to that. But don't pursue that. There's not a book out there that can teach you how to... I mean, they've got clinics on how to prophesy, how to do this, how to do that. I just... I believe that's foolishness. The Bible doesn't tell us to pursue those things. It tells us to pursue love. Listen, if you're in the right place at the right time, if you're a vessel that's open to whatever God wants to do, if God chooses to use you to to heal somebody, to pray for their healing, if God chooses you to to speak into their life and they get saved, then that's going to happen if you're open. If you are in love with Jesus and you are devouring his word, feeding on his word, because there's something in your heart that's drawing you to him. It's his love that's drawing you to love him. God's going to do through you what he needs to do through you, what he wants to do through you. We need to be open to those things. 
And so prophesying is this spontaneous. Teaching is premeditated. Week in and week out, I don't come here prepared for the spontaneous. I come here open to the spontaneous, but I come here prepared to take you verse by verse through the Scripture. Amen? So, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation that deals with the unknown, by knowledge that deals with the known, by prophesying that deals with the spontaneous, or by teaching that deals with the premeditated? However God chooses to do it, the point is He's going to communicate something through you that is going to build up the body, not confuse them. So as I'm teaching this message today, I'm speaking to you by knowledge. You get it? I'm teaching you, and I'm speaking to you by knowledge. And I could also, as God will, speak to you by revelation or prophesying. So the church comes together not for the benefit of one, but for the profit of all. If you come... If I come to you speaking in tongues, there is no profit, for you would not understand my speech, and the church would not be, could not be edified. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Unless I come to you with words easy to understand, how will I be known? How will it be known what is spoken? For I would be speaking into the air. I'm not speaking into the air. Right now, I'm speaking to you. So we don't come together to speak into the air with a focus solely on ourselves. We come together to be built up together, to edify one another, and so be edified ourselves. Do you get that? If you come to edify one another, do you know that you will be edified yourself? If you'll just set, set out to edify one another, you will, in doing that, edify yourself. It's amazing how it works that way. So we don't come together to edify ourselves by ourselves, but we come together to be edified ourselves with and for one another. So the church comes together with a corporate focus to worship God and to build up the body. We come together today with a corporate focus to worship God and to build up the body. And so when the church, the body of Christ, comes together to corporately worship God and to build up one another, there will most certainly be a building up of the individual members of that corporate body. Amen? Okay. I'm going to stop right there. I actually have another page that I could give you today, but it's, it's almost five after. And we've got the rest of this chapter to go through. So, spiritual gifts, why are they given? They're given for the edification of the body. How should we use spiritual gifts? We should only use them in a manner that edifies the body. Now, as we go for, forward in this chapter, we're going to begin to talk more about, um, specifically, in chapter 14 here, this whole concept of tongues. Paul goes into quite a lot of depth. And I think that's one of the areas. This is an area that caused great conflict in the Corinthian church. It's no wonder that it causes great conflict in the church today. But if we will just adhere to what the Scripture teaches, there shouldn't be any conflict, and there should not be any confusion, and there should not be anyone or anything out of order. I don't feel compelled to just, I mean, th there are people here that believe all kinds of different things. There are people here who believe that tongues is strictly deals with known languages. There are people who believe that tongues deals with known and unknown languages, a heavenly language, if you will. We're going to talk about what it means to, to, to pray in tongues, because Paul talks about it here. And he's very clear, when we do that, our understanding is unfruitful. And the point here that I want us to understand, because remember, we're not learning how to be mechanics here. We're learning how to drive the car. 
Now, I would encourage you to get your Bibles out and to study in depth. Read various views on this. Don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to read various views. There was a time when, when that was discouraged. Oh, you should only read the views that enforce your own belief. Please don't do that. There are good people out there who believe different things, and we can all agree to disagree, and we should all still be able to come together, worship God, build each other up. If we follow the teaching of the Scripture, I don't care if you are a wild-eyed, charismatic Pentecostal. If you are, that's fine. Or if you are a staunch, um, you know, cessationist who ha- doesn't even feel comfortable raising your hands in worship. I don't care where you're at on the spectrum. We should be able to come together because what the Bible teaches us is that when we come together corporately, we're coming together to do one thing. That's to, to glorify Christ and to build up the body. If I have misunderstandings about what these gifts mean, what they are, and that, that's really what I want to do is try to eliminate some of those misunderstandings and those misuses. I'm not telling you what you have to believe. I'll tell you what I believe. But I I will tell you what the Bible says we must do as a corporate body. We can have varied beliefs, but there's really only one way that we can operate as a body together and the body be edified. Amen? So it's going to be great. It's going to be really interesting. And, um, And I would just really encourage you to be open to what God has. I'll be honest with you. Uh... I believe things way different than I used to believe in in terms of some of these gifts. Um, I do believe in the gifts. I believe the gifts operate today. But I, I, I have been in services that now I understand were completely, totally and completely out of order. There was, they were not biblical. They were totally and completely out of order. That, that, that doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater. It means that we need to handle these things properly. It's kind of like driving the car, okay? We drive the car according to the standard set. If I get out of control and drive the car just any way I want to, chances are we're going to have a wreck and someone's going to get hurt. And that has been happening way too much in the body of Christ. So let's get the car under control and learn how to drive it properly so that it becomes a productive tool for us to build up the body. Amen? Let's all stand. So as every week, if you're here and you have any questions about anything I've talked about today, um, if you want copies, I, I always do an outline. You're welcome to the copies of the outline. I don't know if they're posting those on the website or not. I know they post the messages. But uh, if you have questions about anything I've talked about, maybe you're all good with this. Maybe this is kind of a touchy subject, a controversial subject, a confusing subject. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but it's important that I know who does have the answers. We can go to the Scripture, and even if we don't understand everything, we can surely come to a point where we can say, okay, this is what I do understand that the Scripture is teaching me, so let's follow that. Amen? So if you have questions, I am more than happy to talk to you after the service about those questions. Maybe you're here and you've never, you've never experienced salvation in Jesus Christ. You've never been born again. And if you've never been born again, if you right now just know in your heart of hearts that you have not been saved. God's not saved you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I would encourage you, please, come and let's pray together. Let's talk. There's not a formula for getting saved. Yes, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Absolutely. But what I'm saying is, just because you come down here and shake my hand and say a prayer with me, that formula does not save you. It's what happens in your heart. It's what God does in your heart. And if you've got heart issues concerning salvation, 
I certainly don't want to minimize or trivialize those and say, if you just say this prayer with me, you're good to go. No, if you've got heart issues about salvation, this is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. It's well worth your time to come and, and have a conversation about those heart issues. Amen? Now, one other thing before I pray and dismiss. Some of you uh, have expressed uh, that you would like to be baptized. Um, if you, I, I really want to do this. I know, the, I know it's wintertime and we don't have a heater in our baptistry, but come on. Um, Man, I just, I just watched uh, Lone Survivor, and I saw what those Navy SEALs go through. So surely we can just, like, take a dip for just a little bit in some room temperature water. Uh, your baptism is really important. Uh, if you've not been baptized, I really would encourage you to fill out a connection card. Let me know that you've not been baptized, that you would like to be baptized, and we're going to schedule a time, hopefully sooner than later, uh, to do a baptism very, very important. So if you've got any of those things that you would like to talk about, please come after the service and let's do that. Uh, put, or put it on a connection card if you want me to contact you later. Amen? All right. Now let's pray. And let's ask God through the power of His Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts, to change us, to do a work in our minds, to renew our minds and conform us transform us into the very image of the Son of God. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. God, what a precious gift that you have given us in giving us the scripture. Lord, it's our greatest source of revelation. Lord, there's no other place that we should go before we go to the scripture to see, to know who you are, to learn what your voice sounds like. to see what your face looks like. God, give us a heart brimming over with a desire for you, Lord Jesus, for your truth, for your word, the living word. Do a work in our hearts, God, by the power of your spirit. God, transform us by the renewing of our mind as we wash our minds with the water of your word. Conform us to the image of the Son of God. Lord, help us to be no longer conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that we might prove indeed Christ in us, the hope of glory. God, you're not looking for an increase of the ground. You're looking for an increase of the seed. We are your field. We are the ground. God, let there come an increase of the seed who is Christ in us, that the world would see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Shine a light in our hearts, God, that we may see and have knowledge of your glory in the face of your dear Son. God, we ask this. We ask for your grace, God. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves, to see our need for you, to repent. Because apart from you, God, we have nothing. We are nothing. But in you, Christ, you have given us every spiritual blessing. You have seated us even in heavenly places. And for that, we thank you. For it is by grace through faith that we have been saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. And we thank you for your most abundant and merciful gift, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.